I'd invite you to pray with me. Holy God, as we uh, come to this time when we have the chance to stop and turn to you um, and turn to your word, Lord, we ask that you would just help us listen today. Um, and God, um, that you would not uh, just allow us to listen in a superficial way, but that you would open us up um, so that as we hear your word this day, we would let it sink in deep. Um, so it is not words that we just hear with our ears, but instead words that sink into the depths of our hearts um, so that they become uh, words that guide uh, the way we live as we move forward from here. God, we ask you uh, to send your spirit to do just that, that um, as we turn to you this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So y'all, it is time to get our compasses out once more as we turn towards Christ, seeking to get our bearings in the midst of this tumultuous world. So hear Christ's teaching to us that comes in the second beatitude. First, from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And now from Eugene Peterson's translation of Scripture, the message. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So y'all, uh, we all experience loss in this world. Uh, this is an inevitable part of our human existence and something you likely have experienced by now in your life. There are all kinds of losses that we face, sorrows that we bear as we live out our days. Jonathan Dodson names a few in his book that was the inspiration for the sermon series. He notes getting laid off, being betrayed by a friend, experiencing marital conflict, suffering with gnawing loneliness, losing a loved one, or receiving a bad medical report. As we live out our days, we face many losses. The loss of security, the loss of trust, the loss of peace, the loss of community, the loss of life, the loss of health. The list could go on and on. The question Jesus is asking us here underneath his second beatitude is what do we do when loss comes our way? How do we handle or deal with loss in our world today? So we live in a time when we're just like inundated with inputs. So in addition to the losses, the sorrows we bear in our personal lives, we also are confronted with the losses in the world around us. And right now, they are legion. We are living in a season marked with collective losses we already have named, and then some, right? The loss of security, the loss of trust, the loss of peace, the loss of community, the loss of life, the loss of health. It has a culture our ability to handle and process such loss has weakened over time. Rather than taking the time to truly mourn personal losses when they hit our lives, we often try to just keep moving, just keep pushing forward. For we live in a culture that encourages this. 
We also can be so overwhelmed by the communal and collective losses that come at us through our connections on social media or through the 24-hour news cycle that we just can't process them anymore. We grow numb to tragedy when it strikes. Everyone experiences loss, sorrow as we live out our days on earth, but Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. What does it look like to mourn? To mourn well in our world today. In his book, Dodson turns to the experience of Viktor Frankl, an Austrian neurologist who was arrested by the Nazis and sent to Auschwitz in the Second World War. Part of what was key to Frankl's survival in that awful death camp was his belief that suffering is a moral task. In the book he wrote after his experience, Man's Search for Meaning, Frankl says, in some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering the moment it finds a meaning, such as the meaning of sacrifice. Frankl discovered that suffering is a moral task that requires meaning. But here's the thing, in order to glean meaning from our suffering, we have to spend time pondering it, which is something hard to do in our world today. As Dodson says, our modern technological age has created a way of thinking driven by efficiency and pace. Our wheels are always turning at a rapid rate. If we cease to produce for too long, we become restless. Contemplating meaning is hard when spare moments are filled with our phones in our hands. Contemplation requires quiet, stillness, and focus, practices rapidly disappearing in our society. As a result, he goes on to say, we lack the reflective habits necessary to discover and relish meaning that makes hardship a moral endeavor. Instead, we view suffering as an inconvenience or inefficiency. This is part of what makes our current collective suffering attached to this pandemic so difficult. For starters, we don't have a collective understanding of it. In fact, we have quite the opposite. We have almost two opposing understandings of it at work in the world right now which makes it difficult to draw meaning out of the suffering we are experiencing right now. As different opinions, data, and interpretations of that data are shared all over the place about this, I often find myself struggling to even know what end is up, which makes it really difficult to assign meaning to all of the sacrifices we are being asked to make. Instead of seeing all of this that we are going through as a moral endeavor, it is easy to view it as an inconvenience. Instead of truly mourning in this season, we either rage against it or try to bury the anxiety produced by it, by work and activity, or we try to numb ourselves out with whatever distraction we can find. Which is why liquor stores were deemed essential during all of this from the get-go. It's why Netflix added 10 million users the second quarter of this year and saw a 72% increase in U.S. viewership around that same time. It's also why the Corona 15 has become a thing. Jesus says to us, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
don't know about you, but comfort, true, deep, meaningful comfort, sounds pretty good to me right now. When we mourn, when we enter into our suffering, when we don't try to stuff it or run from it or numb it away, but instead hold it up and invite God into it, we allow God to move in and through it, in and through us. Dodson describes our triune God as a divine community of comfort. He says the Trinity possesses all comfort all the time for all afflictions. The Godhead never runs short and are never indisposed. They are an eternal fountain of self-giving solace for sufferers, always available. Together, they provide comfort that is both portable and eternal. One of the things I'm recognizing in my own life is how this collective season of crisis has meant that everyone is dealing with so much and has so much going on at the same time. There are times when it can feel hard to turn to a loved one with your own burdens because you recognize how much they are already carrying. There are times it can be difficult to reach out to someone else because your arms already feel full of your own burdens. The call of Jesus's beatitude is to remind us that our God is always present to us and has an infinite source of comfort and compassion. If we can lay our own sorrow down before our triune God, comfort will come and our arms will be free to reach out with care and comfort to those around us. Part of making meaning out of our sorrow, out of our suffering, is by watching the ways God can move through it to bring about good in us and in our world. One of the gifts of being a pastor is getting to walk with people as they mourn and watching the spirit of God work to bring them comfort and allow them to extend that comfort to others. In the past couple of weeks, I've witnessed examples of this up close as a number of you have shared with me your own journeys of mourning and what they are bearing in you. One example of this comes from our own Stu Irvay, who has been walking with his wife, Barbara, through her difficult journey with Alzheimer's since 2014. This summer, he felt led to start writing about their experience and started an online blog to share those writing with others who might be on a similar journey. As he has stepped into a season of mourning what once was, he has found comfort in being able to preserve the legacy of Barbara and his 58 years in counting of life together. And he is also working to extend comfort to others. This is an excerpt from a recent blog he posted entitled Legacy. He begins by writing of the legacy um, they had cultivated together over their years. But then Stu goes on reflecting on the legacy born out of this season, characterized by loss. He says, I sometimes wonder if end-of-life afflictions like Alzheimer's leave any discernible legacy of their own. My wife has been a resident of a small memory care facility for over three years. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, I visited her in that facility every day. I naturally met other residents, staff, and family visitors. The symptoms of Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia manifest themselves slowly and even erratically. My wife and I were both educators, 
So the workings of the human brain interested us. It is a remarkable organ, even when it starts to misfire and shut down. As a husband, I was especially interested in how Alzheimer's affected an emotion like love. I noticed that visiting wives and husbands always try to elicit some sign that their afflicted spouse still loves them. With few exceptions, the resident will respond in some positive way and try to reciprocate. It may be a cliche, but it seems clear to me that love remains long after many other parts of the brain and personality disappear. It is a kind of final legacy. After everything else fades away, the love remains and is transmitted to others in the only way they can. Over three, the three years my wife has been in the facility, I've created a picture album, a family memory notebook. When I or staff members guide my wife through its pages, she often smiles or her eyes flash a little. I'm convinced that a memory was triggered somehow emanating from feelings of deep love of family members and the joy they brought to her life. What a wonderful legacy, something like that leaves spouses and others in a family. That after all the emotional pain caused by a disorder of the brain, the one afflicted is conveying love to everyone, saying that her life with them was worth even this kind of ending. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we take the time and trust our God to enter into our suffering and our loss, to spend time contemplating it, finding meaning in it, when we take the time, create the space, and offer up the energy needed to truly mourn, we are comforted. And somehow, by the grace and power of our God, that comfort moves beyond us. It overflows as we become a source of comfort for others. Y'all, we are living in a season marked by loss. May we be a people who mourn, who do not simply rage, stuff, numb, or ignore. May we be a people who mourn, people who are blessed by the comfort that can come from God alone, people who become a blessing to others as we share of that comfort as well. May we be a people who mourn. Amen. So as we come to this time of offering uh, this day, uh, my invitation for you is, is to become people who mourn. Um, to try to really pay attention to yourself this week um, as you are dealing with the losses that come at you, right? And pay attention to what your knee jerks are. Um, when I am in a place um, where I'm struggling uh, to really just be present with the suffering I'm feeling, the loss I'm feeling, I find myself in, you know, like my quiet time with God. I'll be praying, I'll be journaling, and then I'll just have to check my phone, right, to see what the news is doing, or have to check my phone to check what messages came in. Like, I just can't settle in. Um, that's one way, um, you know, I watch myself 
Um, I also am a person that goes to the fridge, right, or the pantry um, when I'm struggling with just being present to my lots. Pay attention what uh, those tendencies might be for you. Um, pay attention uh, to the ways that you uh, might distract yourself, um, whether it be with entertainment or work, you know, you might kind of channel your anxiety by just staying busy. Um, ways you might numb um, yourself um, to deal with the sorrow and the pain. Um, and just notice that um, and try to create some space where you take an alternative position, right? Where instead of um, raging, stuffing, numbing, ignoring um, the loss uh, that you are experiencing, um, instead you stop and you just hold it. You sit with it and you invite God into it. Um, you think about it and what there is, uh, what there is for you in it. Um, I keep saying to you that God doesn't waste a thing, right? Um, and God definitely doesn't waste loss. Um, God definitely will move in and through that to draw us close um, and to move in us um, and help us move in the lives of others. Um, so this week, the invitation uh, that I'm inviting you to make as we are in this time of offering um, is to try to step uh, towards uh, being people, uh, people who mourn. Uh, so I invite you to reflect on that uh, in the time we have here in worship, but also in the week ahead.